Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. Reading today from the Sovereignty Sermons of Charles Spurgeon. We're talking about one called Free Grace right now. By the way, all of this is available at the Puritan Hard Drive, which you can receive for yourself at puritandownloads.com, Stillwater's Revival Books. And you'll want to do that, by the way. It's not just this message, not just Spurgeon, but hundreds and hundreds of other things on that hard drive. All right. Um, we were talking about a passage from Ezekiel that uh, Mr. Spurgeon is uh, exposing for us regarding grace and how grace is everything. He says, now in the second place, I have to illustrate and enforce this text. Consider a moment man's character. It will humble us and it will tend to confirm this truth in our minds. Let me take an illustration. I will consider man as a criminal. He certainly is such in the sight of God, and I shall not slander him. Suppose now that some great criminal is at last overtaken in his sin and shut up in Newgate. He's committed high treason, murder, rebellion, every possible iniquity. He's broken all the laws of the realm, every one of them. The public cry is everywhere. This man must die. The laws cannot be maintained unless he shall be made an example of their rigor. He who beareth not the sword in vain must this time let the sword taste blood. The man must die. He richly deserves it. So you... You look through his character, and you can't see one solitary redeeming trait. He's an old offender. He's, he's so long persevered in his iniquity that you are compelled to say the case is hopeless with this man. His crimes have such aggravation, we cannot make an apology for him, even should we try. Not Jesuit cunning itself could devise any pretense of excuse or any hope of a plea for this abandoned wretch. Let him die. Now, if Her Majesty, the Queen, having in her hands the sovereign power of life and death, chooses that this man shall not die, but that he shall be spared, do you not see as plain as daylight that the only reason that can move her to spare that man must be her own love, her own compassion? For as I have supposed already, that there is nothing in that man's character that can be a plea for mercy, but that contrarywise his whole character cries aloud for vengeance against his sin. And whether we like it or not, this is just the truth concerning ourselves. This is just our character and position before God. Ah, my hearer, you may turn upon your heel, disgusted and offended, but there are some here who feel it to be solemnly true in their own experience, and they will therefore drink in the doctrine, for it is the only way whereby they can be saved. My hearer, your conscience uh, perhaps is telling you this morning that you have sinned and so heinously that heinously there is not an inlet for a solitary ray of hope in your character. 
You've added to your sins this great one, that you have rebelled against the Most High, wantonly and wickedly. If you have not committed all the sins in the calendar of crime, it's been because providence has stayed your hand. Your heart has been black enough for it all. You feel that the vileness of your imagination and desires has achieved the consummation of human guilt. And further, you could not go. Your sins have prevailed against you and have gone over your head. Now, man, the only ground upon which God can save you is his own love. He cannot save you because you deserve it, for you do not deserve it, because there is no excuse that might be made for your sin. No, you're without any excuse, and you feel it. Oh, bless his dear name, that he has devised this way, whereby he can save you upon the basis of his own sovereign love and unbounded grace, without anything in you. I want you to go back to Newgate again, to this criminal. We suppose now that this criminal is visited by Her Majesty in person. She goes to him. She says to him, Rebel, traitor, murderer, I have in my heart compassion for you. Now, you deserve it not. But I am come this day to you to tell you that if you repent, you shall have mercy at my hands. Well, suppose this man, springing up, should curse her, curse this angel of mercy to her face, spit upon her, and utter blasphemies, imprecate curses upon her head. She retires. She is gone. But so great is her compassion that the next day she sends a messenger, and, and days, and weeks, and months, and years, she continually sends messengers, and these go to him, and they say, if you will repent of your transgressions, you shall have mercy, not because you deserve it, but because Her Majesty is compassionate, and out of her gracious soul she desires your salvation. Will you repent? Well, suppose this man should curse at the messenger, stop his ears against the message, spit upon him, tell him he does not care for him at all. Or to suppose a better case, suppose he turns upon his seat and says, I don't care whether I'm hanged or not. I'll take my chance along with other people. I shall take no notice of you. And suppose more than that, rising from his seat, he indulges again in all the crimes for which he's already been condemned and plunges headlong afresh into the very sins which have brought his neck under the rope of the gallows. Now, if Her Majesty would spare such a man as that, on what terms can she do it? You say, well, she cannot, unless she does it out of love. She cannot, because of any merit in him, because such a beast as that ought to die. And now, what are you and I, by nature, but like this? And my unconverted hearer, what is this but a picture of you? Has not God himself visited your conscience? Has he not said to you, Sinner, 
Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as wool. And what have you done? Stopped your ear against the voice of conscience, cursed and swore at God, blasphemed his holy name, despised his word, railed against his ministers, and this day again with tears in his eyes, a servant of God has come to you, and his message is, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, but had rather that he should turn unto me and live. And what will you do? Why, if left to yourselves, you'll laugh at the message. You'll despise it. It will glance off from you like an arrow from a man that is girt about with mail. And you'll go away to despise God again, as you have done before. Do you not see, then, that if God ever shall save you, it cannot be for your sakes, but must be from his own infinite love. It cannot be from any other reason. Since you have rejected Christ, despised his gospel, trodden underfoot the blood of Jesus, and have refused to be saved. If he saves you, it must be free grace, and free grace alone. But now picture a little more about this criminal at Newgate. Not content with having added sin to sin, and having rejected mercy for himself, this wretch industriously employs himself in going around to all the cells where others are confined, and hardening their hearts also against the mercy of the queen. He can scarce see a person, but he begins to taint him with the blasphemy of his own heart. He utters injurious things against the majesty that spares him, and endeavors to make others as vile as himself. And now, what does justice say? If this man ought not to die on his own account, yet he ought to die for the sake of others, and if he be spared... Is it not as plain as a pike staff that he cannot be spared because of any reason in him? It must be because of the unconquerable compassion of the sovereign. And now look here. Is not this the case of some here present? Not only do you sin yourselves, but you lead others into sin. I know this was one of my plagues and torments when first God brought me to himself that I've led others into temptation. Are there not men here that have taught others to swear? Are there not fathers here that have helped to destroy their own children's souls? Are there not some of you that are like the deadly upas tree? You stretch out your branches, and from every leaf there drops poison upon those who come beneath its deadly range. Are there not some here who have seduced the virtuous, that have misled those who were seemingly pious and that are perhaps so hardened that they even glory in it? Not content with being damned yourselves, you're seeking to lead others to the pit also, thinking it not enough yourselves to be at enmity with God. You want to imitate Satan by dragging others with you? Oh, my hearer, 
Is not this thy case? Does not thy heart confess it? Does not the tear flow down thy cheek? Remember, remember then, this must be true. If God shall save thee, it must be because he will do it. It cannot be because there's anything good in thee. For thou deservest now to die. And if he spare thee, it must be sovereign love and sovereign grace. I will just use one other illustration, and then I think I shall have made the text clear enough. There's not so much difference between black and a darker shade of black as there is between pure white and black. Everyone can see that. And then there's not so much difference between man and the devil as there is between God and man. God is perfection. We are black with sin. The devil is only a darker shade of black. And great as may be the difference between our sin and the sin of Satan, yet it is not so great as the difference between the perfection of God and the imperfection of man. Now imagine, for a minute, that, that somewhere in Africa, there should be a tribe of devils living, and that, that you and I had it in our power to save these devils from some threatened wrath which must overtake them. If you or I should go there and die to save these devils, what could be our motive? From what we know of the character of a devil, the only motive that could make us do that must be love. There could not be any other. It must be simply because we had such big hearts that we could even embrace fiends within them. Well now, there's not so much difference between man and the devil as between God and man. If then the only motive that could make men save a devil must be man's love, does it not follow with irresistible force that the only motive that could lead God to save men must be God's own love? At any rate, if that reason be not cogent, the fact is indisputable. Not for your sakes do I this, O house of Israel. God sees us, abandoned, evil, wicked, and deserving his wrath. If he saves us, it is his boundless, fathomless love that leads him to do it, nothing whatever in us. And now, having thus preached this doctrine and enforced it, I come to a very solemn, practical application. And here, may God the Holy Spirit help me labor with your hearts. First, since this doctrine is true, how humble a Christian man ought to be. If thou be saved, thou hast had naught to do with it. <coughs> God has done it. If thou be saved, thou hast not deserved it. It is mercy undeserved which thou hast received. I have sometimes been delighted when I have seen the gratitude of abandoned characters to any who have assisted them. I remember visiting a house of refuge. There was a poor girl there who had fallen into sin long. And when she found herself kindly addressed and recognized by society and saw a Christian minister longing after her soul's good, it broke her heart. 
What should a man of God care about her? She was so vile. How could it be that a, a Christian should speak to her? Ah, but, but how much more should that feeling rise in our hearts? My God, I have rebelled against thee, and yet thou hast loved me, unworthy me. How can it be? I cannot lift myself up with pride. I must bow down before thee in speechless gratitude. Remember, my dear brethren, that not only is the mercy which you and I have received undeserved, it was unasked. It is true you prayed, but not till free grace made you pray. You would have been to this day hardened in heart without God and without Christ had not free grace saved you. Can you be proud then? Proud of mercy, which, if I may use the term, has been forced upon you. Proud of grace, which has been given you against your will until your will was changed by sovereign grace. Think again. All the mercy you have, you once refused. Christ sups with you. Be not proud of his company. Remember, there was a day when he knocked, and you refused. When he came to the door and said, My head is wet with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night open to me, my beloved, as in the Song of Solomon, and you barred the door in his face and would not let him enter. Be not proud, then, of what thou hast, when thou rememberest that thou didst once reject him. Does God embrace thee in his arms of love? Remember, once thou liftest up thy hand of rebellion against him, is thy name written in his book? Ah, there was a time when, if it had been in thy power, thou wouldst have erased the sacred lines that contained thine own salvation. Can we, dare we, lift up our wicked head with pride, when all these things should make us hang our heads down in the deepest humility, that is one lesson. Let us learn another. This doctrine is true, and therefore it should be a, a subject of the greatest gratitude. When meditating upon this text yesterday, the, the effect it had upon me was, was one of transport and joy. Oh, I, I thought, uh, upon what other condition could I have been saved? And I looked back upon my past estate. I, I saw myself piously trained and educated, but revolting against all of that. I saw a mother's tears shed over me in vain, and a father's admonition lost upon me. And yet I found myself saved by grace, and I could only say, Lord, I bless thee that it is by grace. For if it had been by merit, I had never been saved. If thou hadst waited till there was something good in me, thou wouldst have waited till I sank into the hopeless perdition of hell, for good in man there never would have been, unless thou hadst first put it there. And then I thought immediately, oh, how I could go and preach that to the poor sinner. Ah, let me try if I cannot. Oh, sinner, you say you dare not come to Christ because you have nothing to recommend you. He does not want anything to recommend you. He will not save you if you have anything to recommend you. For his, He says, not for your sake do I this. 
Go to Christ with earrings in your ears and jewels upon you. Wash your face, array yourself with gold and silver, and go before him and say, Lord, save me. I have washed myself and clothed myself. Save me. Get you gone. Get you gone. Not for your sakes will I do this. Go to him and say, Again, Lord, I've I've put a, a rope around my neck and sackcloth about my loins. See how repentant I am. Uh, see how I feel my need. Now save me. No, saith he. I would not save you on account of your flaunting robes. And now I will not save you because of your rags. I will save you for nothing about you. If I do save you, it will be from something in my heart not from anything you feel. Get ye gone. But if today you go to Christ and you say, Lord Jesus, there's no reason in the world why I should be saved. There is one in heaven, Lord. I, I cannot urge any plea. I deserve to be lost. I have no excuse to make for all my sins, no apology to offer. Lord, I, I deserve it. There's nothing in me why I should be saved. For if thou wouldst save me, I should make but a poor Christian, after all. I fear that my future works will be no honor to thee. I I wish they could be, but, but thy grace must make them good, else they will still be bad. But Lord, uh, I have nothing to bring. And nothing to say for myself. I, I do say this. I, I've heard that thou hast come into the world to save sinners. O Lord, save me. I, I am the chief of sinners. I confess I, I do not even feel this as I ought. I do not mourn as I ought. I have no repentance to recommend me. Nay, Lord, I, I have no faith to recommend me either. For I do not believe thy promise as I ought. But, oh, I cling to this text Lord, thou hast said thou wilt not do it for my sake. I thank thee that thou hast said that. Thou couldst not do it for my sake. I, I have no reason why thou shouldst. Lord, I, I claim thy gracious promise. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Ah, you good people, this doctrine does not suit some of you. That's too humbling, is it not? You that have kept your churches regularly, you, you've been to meetings so piously, you that never broke the Sabbath or never swore an oath or did anything wrong. This does not suit you. You say it's very well to preach to harlots and drunkards and swearers, but it will not suit such good people as we are. Ah, well, this is your text. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You are whole you are. You need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go your way. Christ came to save such as you are. You think you can save yourselves? Do it and perish in the doing of it. But I feel that the same gospel that suits a harlot suits me, and that that free grace which saves Saul of Tarsus must save me, else I am never saved. Come, let us all go together. We are all guilty, some more, some less, but all hopelessly guilty. Let us go together to the footstool of his mercy, and though we dare not look up, 
Let us lie there in the dust and sigh out again, Lord, have mercy upon us for whom Jesus died. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Sinner, come now. Come now, I beseech thee, I entreat thee, come now. O Spirit of the living God, draw them now. Let these feeble, weak words be the means of drawing souls to Christ. Will you reject my master again? Will you go out of this house hardened once more? You may never again have such feelings as those which are aroused in your soul. Come now, receive his mercy. Now bend your willing necks to his yoke. And then I know you shall go away to taste his faithful love, and at last to sing in heaven the song of the redeemed unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Unto him be glory forever. Amen. O thou great eternal Jesus, high and mighty Prince of Peace, how thy wonders shine resplendent in the wonders of thy grace. Thy rich gospel scorns conditions, breathes salvation free as air, only breathes triumphant mercy, baffling guilt and all despair. Oh, the grandeur of the gospel, how it sounds the cleansing blood, shows the bowels of a Savior, shows the tender heart of God. Only treats of love eternal, swells the all-abounding grace, nothing knows but life and pardon, Full redemption, endless peace. That was Free Grace, taken from the New Park Street Pulpit, Volume 5. And, of course, read with permission. Well, thank you for being with us today. I get weary, a little tired reading those, and I, I love this kind of tiredness where I get a hold of what Spurgeon was feeling for a little while and and feel it with him and give it out to you. It would be good if you are a new believer because of a Spurgeon sermon. I would love to hear from you. And just to share, it it just makes me to know that, that God is using this work for his glory. Well, men, we have a Zoom meeting on Saturday night. Would you come and join us, please? If you're a man who loves the Lord and wants to join with us, send me an email. I'll send you a link to a Zoom meeting. It's every Saturday night, 7 o'clock Central Time here in Chicago. We have a little Bible study. We share one another's burdens. We pray for one another. It's a good group. You'll love it. And I will see you then, or at least I will look to see you again soon here. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.